Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off in depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with Ray Abma on his new book, Simultaneous Source Seismic Acquisition. In this widely relevant and persuasive interview, Ray shares why you should acquire seismic data using simultaneous source acquisition, the close relationship between data acquisition and data processing, how marine seismic interference may be a thing of the past, and tips on convincing management and technical staff to use this new technology. This conversation applies to a wide variety of disciplines and jobs. You will be glad you listened. This episode is sponsored by TGS. TGS offers a wide range of energy data and insights to meet the industry where it's at and where it's headed. TGS provides scientific data and intelligence to companies active in the energy sector. In addition to a global, extensive, and diverse energy data library, TGS offers specialized services such as advanced processing and analytics alongside cloud-based data applications and solutions. For the full show notes and the links to buy the book, visit seg.org slash podcast. Now for our conversation. So let's uh, let's get started here, Ray. I'm I'm excited to to talk with you about your book, and it's uh, you recently your co-author on the book is Mark Foster, and the name of the book is Simultaneous Source Seismic Acquisition. And I'll I'll kind of start with the the most basic question that came to mind uh, for me when looking at this title: Why acquire seismic data using simultaneous source acquisition? Well, the main motivation is economics. You can get more seismic data in less time. The original idea was, hey, we could get the same seismic data for less cost. But in fact, that's not really what happened. What really happened is we got denser and better seismic data for the same cost or for slightly more. And one of the points I want to make is we're not trying to produce compromised seismic data. We're trying to produce seismic data that is better than conventional data. And and I'd say this is a, a very practical book. You do a, a great job, along with Mark, of pointing people, depending on on their expertise and their interest, what chapters to read and and kind of what order to do it. And you know, moving on of that idea of a practical book, you detail in the book problems and pitfalls encountered when using the technology during the projects and how they were actually solved. You know, building off that, are there any kind of common myths that people have of simultaneous source acquisition? <laughs> That's a good question. One of the myths is that simultaneous source is a compromise between quality and cost. And in fact, what we're trying to do really hard is to get better quality data and perhaps at a lower cost. You know, in terms of problems and pitfalls, if you take a look at Appendix H, things that go wrong and how to fix them, you find that simultaneous source acquisition, when you first hear about it, you think, oh man, this is a little scary. But it actually is pretty robust. But there are some things that you have to pay attention to. And there are some things that if they go wrong, you have to have a way of fixing it. And perhaps the most common thing that goes wrong has to do with GPS time, universal time, and I hate to say this, leap seconds, which are a real nightmare to us. <laughs> 
leap seconds, uh, they correct the universal time by a second every year or so. And okay, for a geologist, 10,000 years isn't all that long. For a geophysicist, one second is a long time. And what happens is if you don't adjust for leap seconds, or if you have universal time on the source side and GPS time and the receiver time, what you'll find is you get garbage out of your data. And this happens often enough that you have to be prepared for it. You know, right now, I think the difference between UTC time and GPS time is 18 seconds. So unless you correct for that, you're going to be traumatized when you get garbage out. <laughs> but, you know, typically, most of the time, you can recognize that and you fix it immediately. But I hope people will read Appendix 8 and when they see their data come out garbage, they'll know exactly what to do. The first time we did this, it took us a couple of days to realize what had gone wrong. Yeah, and that's really the power of this book. You're, you're utilizing just decades of your experience working in this to, to help people uh, a little faster uh, than maybe otherwise without this book. And the, the nice thing as well throughout the book is you're using actual data results to compare this new methodology with conventional methods. Was there something when writing and discussing these results uh, in the book that even surprised you, you know, even someone using this technology for a long time? One of the interesting things about writing the book is that it took longer and it was harder work than we really expected. It took something like two and a half years to put everything together, partly because we're looking at various audiences. One of the things that surprised us when we were developing the technology is it's unusual in that it seems to work better on real data than it does on synthetic data, which normally it's the other way around. Normally, if something works on synthetics or works in simulations, it might not work in the real world. Here, for some reason, it seems to work better in the real world than it does in our simulations, which was a real surprise. In fact, it's a very happy surprise. When we started off, we were just trying to duplicate basically structural sections. And what we found is that we can actually get really accurate amplitudes, which makes simultaneous sourcing good for both structural work, AVO, and time lapse. And in fact, one of the points I'd like to make is that if you're doing time-lapse, you probably want to use some of the simultaneous source technology. Because, well, Martin Landro pointed out that basically all marine surveys are already simultaneous source surveys. You always get the noise, the residual noise from the previous shot in the shot that you're interested in. Typically, according to Martin, you'd have to wait 30 seconds for the noise from the previous shot to drop below the background noise. And no one wants to wait 30 seconds. Typically, it's somewhere between six and 10 seconds. So now we have a way in processing to remove that noise. And it's kind of interesting. People picked up on that rather quickly. Is, is that why marine seismic interference might be a thing of the past? Well, that's part of it. Basically, if you have something like uh, a situation in the North Sea, where there's only a few months out of the year where you can do seismic work because the rest of the year, the sea is too rough. 
So you have lots of uh, crews working in the North Sea at the same time, and they interfere with each other. So you can either pay the other crews not to work, or you can just put up with that. But now, if you share the times of your shots and you share the positions of your shots, and everyone uses the shot scheduling that gives a little randomness to the shot, you can actually remove the interference in processing. And that is really important because in a lot of parts of the world, you know, including the Gulf of Mexico, the background noise that you normally get isn't so bad. The background noise that's a real problem is some crew 50 miles away shooting at the same time you are. Mm. You know, in the book, you, you placed a, a big emphasis on the relationship between data acquisition and data processing. Why, why is that such an emphasis in the book? That's actually kind of interesting. Part of it was, you know, this is a new technology. And, you know, it's a new technology that involves acquisition. It's a new technology that involves processing. And there's a tight connection there. In the field, you have to make sure that the shots are scheduled such that the signal is coherent, but the interference is incoherent. In processing, you have to take advantage of that incoherent interference to produce data that's as high a quality as conventional acquisition. In the past, you typically have two groups, two seismic groups. One group that specializes in going out and getting the data, the other group that specializes in processing the data. And you know, a lot of times the communication between them didn't have to be that good. And sometimes the communication between them wasn't that good. But here the communication is critical because you know you have to know when all the shots go off. You have to record continuously and you have to give all that information to the processors. You know, there's just, just because it's new technology, you have to be kind of careful with it because there are a number of things that can go wrong with it. And we don't want things to go wrong. We, want, we don't want any risk in acquiring expensive seismic surveys. Yeah, and, and speaking of surveys, you know, survey design plays a role in this book. And what would what would you say are a couple of key things to keep in mind when you're designing a survey that could help simultaneous source technology succeed? The big thing is what I just mentioned. The signal has to be coherent and the interference has to be incoherent. That's kind of the basis of simultaneous sourcing is how we separate the sources that there are other ways of doing this but you know if you're talking about conventional simultaneous sourcing today that's how most people are actually doing it that's important the other part is you acquire data continuously you know you turn the recorder on the boats go out and shoot or the vibrators go out and vibrate and you keep recording continuously until you stop shooting or stop vibrating. That's you know very different from conventional acquisition where you say the recording truck sends out a signal and that makes the vibrator vibrate. And you record six seconds or 10 seconds of data and then you stop and then you record the next one. 
And it might, continuous recording might seem wasteful because you're recording sometimes when there's no vibrators vibrating or vessel shooting. But in fact, most of the time you're recording more than one vessel at a time. So it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting change in how we acquire data. You know, you mentioned this, this is a newer technology, you know, so sometimes new technologies, there might be a limitation that that could be a thing of the past soon. Is, is there kind of a current limitation of the technology that you think is going to be solved or addressed in, in the next one to three years? The big challenge we have now is that the best simultaneous source surveys are the ones that have a really dense source grid. You have sources, say, at a 50 by 50 meter grid. Now, if you are trying to do toad streamer or more sparse ocean bottom acquisition, it's a little more of a problem to separate the sources. For one thing, that's kind of a natural separation. If you could go to page 109 or 110 in the book, there's an example of what the data looks like in time and in space and what the data looks like when you Fourier transform it in two or three dimensions. In three dimensions, the data that you're interested in is very, very sparse. In two dimensions, it's considerably less sparse, and that makes it harder to separate. Say, in three dimensions, the signal is, say, 10 times as sparse as it is in two dimensions. And one of the things we would like to do is make essentially 2D acquisition the same quality as 3D acquisition. And one of the big areas right now is for toad streamer acquisition. People are doing toad streamer simultaneous source right now, but it's kind of limited. You can't get too aggressive a simultaneous source survey just because what they do now is they try to avoid getting strong interference where you have your reservoir, for example. But there's a couple ways of doing that. One is we can work on the shot scheduling. Two, we can work on the processing. A third method, which is kind of interesting, is coded sources that I cover a little bit in Chapter 2 and Chapter 5. With coded sources, instead of just having all the air guns go off at one time, you set them off in a pattern and spread them out over time. And you can have each source vessel using a different set of patterns. And as a couple obvious advantages to this. One, you're basically generating a new dimension. So your two-dimensional data now becomes three dimensions, with the third dimension being the patterns of shooting that you use with the air guns or the patterns of sweeps that you do with vibrators. There's a couple other advantages to that. Another is eliminating the source ghost notch. That's because right now we tend to have all the air guns at a, the same depth, and that puts a notch in your spectrum. So you lose a little data at one particular frequency. But another interesting aspect of this is if you set off all the air guns, say 30 air guns at the same time, you get a rather large bang, which if you're doing seismic prospecting, that is 
rather nice. You get a nice sharp signal. But if you spread them out, instead of have a sharp bang, you have kind of a burbling noise. But you're using the same energy. So in terms of environmental impact, especially impact to marine mammals, you can reduce the peak amplitude of our air gun arrays by, say, a factor of 10. And that's a big thing because right now, if we see a whale near a seismic survey, we just have to stop shooting. You know, if you have to look a kilometer or a thousand meters away from where your air guns are, that's kind of hard to keep track of. But if you can reduce the peak amplitude by a factor of 10, you really only have to monitor a hundred meters away from the air gun. And that makes monitoring for whales a lot easier. Plus you're affecting a lot less of the ocean. So there are environmental advantages to using corded sources. And in fact, with the simultaneous sourcing in itself, on land, what we learned is that instead of had four vibrators at every source point, we had one vibrator, but we had four times as many source points. And that actually worked very well. And it produced basically a better sampled seismic data. And we can do the same thing with marine. And in fact, some people are doing that. Instead of using the entire air gun array, they use parts of the air gun array. And it's less of a bang. And it's less of a impact on the environment, especially on marine mammals. So there are environmental aspects to this that are a big advantage. You know, Ian Jack, Ian Jack wrote the foreword to the book and ended with a question that I'd like to ask you. So how, how does one persuade skeptical management and convince and motivate skeptical technical staff as well to become comfortable spending millions of dollars on seismic surveys using this new technology? <laughs> That's a wonderful question. For one thing, you are not going to convince anyone with one talk or one discussion. It takes a long time. And seismic people are notoriously conservative. And they're that way because seismic surveys cost so much. And they don't want to produce a survey that they have to throw away, especially if it costs millions or tens of millions of dollars. So, you know, they're a little paranoid about new technology. But then again, if you have a technology that can get you twice as much data or the same data in half the time, that's something that they're very interested in. So yes, you know, one talk or one discussion won't make it. You have, you know, multiple talks. You know, it takes quite a long time to convince people. And in fact, it takes quite a lot of uh, work. We did thousands of simulations, you know, literally thousands of simulations to understand it well ourselves and to convince people that this worked. It's clear from the book and, and this conversation, this is a technology that you're, you're invested in and, and care about in its future. So I'm kind of curious for you, if you would finish this sentence, when simultaneous source acquisition reaches its full potential, it will? It'll give us better seismic data at a lower cost. And, you know, plus, as I mentioned before, it will reduce the environmental impact of seismic surveys. You know, one of the reasons we wrote this book 
is to keep our friends from getting fired. We want to <laughs> we want to reduce the risk of having a bad survey. That's perhaps the biggest reason for writing this book. We want to make sure that this technology works all the time, that we don't run into trouble. Because, you know, it is new technology. And sometimes it's hard to get people to use new technology. Sometimes people use new technology in an inappropriate manner. And this book, we hope, will take care of both cases. We don't want people, for example, shooting simultaneous sourcing on time. You, know, you need the randomness and the interference to be able to separate it, at least with the technology we have now. Plus, you know, the checklists are kind of important. We want to make sure that we are going to get good seismic data out of here, and hopefully better seismic data than what we used to get. Yeah, and, and just a point to people, there's a, there's a, a land and a marine checklist in, in the appendices of this book that uh, is, is very helpful there. And is there anything uh, you would like to, anything else that you would like to share, Ray, before, before we let you go? Well, once again, I want to address the idea that simultaneous sourcing is a compromise between quality and cost. Yeah, perhaps a little, but basically what we're looking at is to get seismic data that is better quality partly by lowering the cost of the individual shots so we can get denser seismic surveys, and partly through the processing aspect of it. You know, we can actually process it and get better data with less noise than we can conventionally. Well, that is a good good place to leave it, Ray. We'll link in, in the show notes of, of where you can pick up this book. And thank you for working two and a half years to make it happen. And this is going to be a big a big help to this technology and, and the future of seismic surveys and acquisition. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to SEG's flagship podcast, Seismic Sound Off. SEG produces these episodes to benefit its members, the geophysics community, and inform the public on the value of the science. To show your support for the show, please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this show. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. Go to the website at seg.org forward slash podcast to find all the episodes and learn how you can subscribe for free directly on your phone. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Gary at 51 Features. The SEG podcast team is Ted Bacomjan, Jennifer Crockett, Ali McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.